0: I'm excited that you're here this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Aspen Grove. We've been in a teaching series out of the the book of uh, Nehemiah. And uh, we're a little bit behind our reading guide, but if you brought your Bibles and you want to open them up, we'll be in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 today. Uh, And and I want to um, do something a little bit different. Um, We're we're in the south, uh, which is also the land of reenactments. Uh, I know you guys like to reenact stuff down here. Uh, uh, so today I want to do something a little bit different. Instead of reading Nehemiah chapter eight to you, uh, uh, can can, uh, can we can we act it out? Would that be okay? You're so nervous right now, aren't you? Like it's okay, it's okay. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. So uh, it's one of these uh, uh, pretty amazing stories. And, and so what I want us to do is uh, I, I want us to just uh, uh, I, I want to tell you the story. I want to I want to give you the teaching out of Nehemiah chapter eight. But I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna need your participation here. So uh, it's okay. We'll do it together. We'll band together and uh, and uh, we'll get through this thing. To set the stage for us a little bit, uh, Nehemiah begins. Uh, uh, Nehemiah is a servant. In the king's court, he's an exile far away from Jerusalem, far away from his home. Uh, he's been brought there by, uh, by, by other kings. And for 70 years, the people of God have lived in complete exile. And a chance comes... For the people of Israel to return to God, to rebuild his kingdom at Jerusalem, to, to create a space where, where God can again have that, that, uh, uh, that sealing moment where heaven and earth kind of, kind of touch. And it's going to happen in the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gets a report where this great, awesome event is supposed to happen, but he is, the report is not good. The report is that the walls around Jerusalem, this place where, where God is going to come and and reestablish his reign on earth, the walls have been torn down. And Nehemiah's heartbroken. He 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 breaks into mourning and in tears and says he mourns for months. And in his mourning, he offers this incredible prayer. He says, God, if you'll just give me a chance. If you'll just make the king who I serve, he's just kind of the head butler, the the cupbearer. If you'll just, just make this king favorable to me, I'll be your man. And I'll go and I'll rebuild the walls. And lo and behold, God answers his request. It says, Scripture says that the hand of God was on Nehemiah. And the king grants him everything that he needs to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah gets there. He he takes a nighttime tour of, of the destruction, of the rubble. And he bands the people together and says, let's end this disgrace. Let's create a space for God again in this place. And they band together, and I love, uh, if, you've, uh, if you listen to some of our previous teachings, and you can do that online, it says that they stand shoulder to shoulder. Don't you love that? Don't you love that image? Shoulder to shoulder, they, they band together, they say, this is a work that, that we want to lean into. It's uh, last week, we talked about a great work. Throughout this work, Nehemiah is, is there, there's, there's constant opposition coming from every side and every angle. And if you were here last week, Nehemiah said, Man, why should I come down and spend time with you? I'm involved in a great work. We called it a wig, a wildly important goal. And, and he says, I can't lose focus. I have this great work in front of me. And after only 52 days, imagine. 52 days, a wall that was nothing but rubble is rebuilt. Now the wall is done, but but what next? In Nehemiah chapter 8, it it begins and it says on October the 8th, almost uh, just a little bit less than a month from now, it says that the men and the women and the children assembled inside the wall with a unified purpose. You know, and so that's going to be us today. You guys get to be the men and the women and the children who who are assembled. Imagine we're inside the walls now, assembled for a unified purpose. Can you do this? You you got your role. You know who you are. Assembled for a unified purpose. And after they assemble, they call out a man. They call the man Ezra. So I need somebody to be my. Uh, I, I need somebody to be my Ezra. And uh, uh, Josh always wants this, but Josh always steals my thunder when he comes on stage. So um, I'm going to ask Graham. Graham, why don't you come up here? Graham, come be my Ezra. Uh, If you guys haven't met Graham, uh, Graham works for us now at Aspen Grove. He's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Stand up here. Yep, perfect. And And I'll give you this thing. So uh, Graham is in the MDiv program at Lipscomb, and uh, they, do, uh, they do this thing where they partner with churches. So for the next uh, however long, maybe two years, you're, you're pretty smart, so I'm, I'm sure you could probably finish the whole program in like six months. Hopefully, um, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not uh, but, cool. but Graham is going to be here. He's going to work with us, uh, especially with our teenagers, but you're also going to see him on stage doing teaching and preaching. And, and so uh, if you see him slipping up, man, just jump right on his case. Don't, don't hesitate. He's interning for us. Now, uh, honestly, we, we feel like uh, Graham's an answer to prayer, so we're, we're excited to have him. And, and so today, Graham, your role is to be Ezra. All right. Can you handle that? I think so. All right, so you stand right here behind this thing as Ezra, and uh, Ezra's story, if you've been reading the story of Ezra, the book of Ezra, the memoirs of Ezra, really really uh, parallel Nehemiah's story. Where Nehemiah is called by God, God's hand is on Nehemiah to rebuild a wall. Before the wall is built, God places his hand on the man named Ezra. And Ezra's job is not to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but to rebuild the temple. You guys remember this? Indiana Jones, Lost Ark, you know what the temple is? The temple is the tabernacle, is the place of God. It's that that place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place that holds the law the Torah, the Pentateuch of God. And so the people are unified. They've come together, men, women, and children, and they call out Ezra. And Ezra comes marching out in front of the people. Here you are. In front of all the people. And the people here with a unified purpose. And they call Ezra out, and Ezra marches out with a massive scroll, probably. And on the scroll is written the law. Yeah. It's kind of like black power. I don't, I don't know what that is. Like, yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Perfect. Uh, uh, this will be your scroll for oh, today. Okay. All right. Ooh, there you go. Perfect. Makes sense. And when Ezra marches out, we're going to act this out together. When Ezra marches out in front of all of the people together, remember, they've stood shoulder to shoulder. They've completed this great work. When he marches out with the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. When people see the word of God come before them, they stand. So, why don't you guys stand? All rise. Perfect, exactly. They rose to their feet, and Ezra opens the Torah, the law, and it begins. You guys know how it begins? It begins in the beginning, right? You remember this. And as the people stand, men, women, and children stand, Ezra begins to read the law to the people. He begins to read the Torah. So go ahead.
1: Let's, let's just do it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. An evening passed and the morning came, making the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens and the waters from the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. Do you want to keep going? Okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. (laughs) These seeds will then produce all kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetations, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of all same kind. And God saw this was good. And evening passed, and the morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let light appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let, let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights. The larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the nights how long would it take a long time
0: genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy in in my bible it's 350 pages and in nehemiah chapter 8 all the people stood together in unified purpose in front of ezra he brought out the torah he brought out the law and he began to read And it says that he read from dawn until noon. And the people stood before God's word. And when he was done, Ezra, uh, uh, it says also that, that while they're reading, it said the other priests are moving through the crowd explaining everything that's being read. So imagine this happening. And even Ezra is explaining what he's reading as he goes. Remember, the people of God have been in exile this whole time. For them maybe, for some of them, maybe the very first time they hear the law. Maybe the very first time they personally see the Torah, they see God's written word, and they, and they hear it for the first time. And, and they're going around explaining, too, because it was probably written in Hebrew. But where have they been the last 70 years? They've been in Babylon. And in Babylon, they don't speak Hebrew. They speak Aramaic. And so the priest and even Ezra are spending time not just reading the law, but explaining it for hour after hour after hour this happens. We'll fast forward a little bit. When Ezra is done reading and explaining, he praises the Lord. So praise the Lord for us. Praise the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And now here's your part. All of the people raise their hands. So raise them up. And they shout together twice, amen, amen. Can you do it? Amen, amen. 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 And then it says they bowed their heads before God.
1: Hmm.
0: Awesome. Now there's one last piece that I left out. Ezra is reading this story. He, he's reading the Torah, these five books, which is the foundation of their faith. He's reading the word of God. They're hearing it, maybe some of them, for the first time. It's being explained to them, maybe, for the first time. They raise their hands and say, Amen. They, they praise the Lord. But there's one piece they left out, and it's an important. There's one piece I left out of this story, and it's important. And it shows up all over Nehemiah chapter 8. It says while Nehemiah or I'm sorry while Ezra is reading the words the people weep and mourn. So let me hear your sounds of weeping and mourning. Come on, be good actors. <laughs> I feel like I hear that during most of my sermons, so you guys should be good at this. The people for hour after hour after hour, as they come face to face with God, they break into weeping and mourning. And Ezra does something uh, uh, really, uh, really special. Go ahead and put that, uh, that first verse up there. When Ezra hears the people weeping and mourning, here's what he says to them. He quieted the people, telling them, go ahead. Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. And when Nehemiah sees the people weeping and mourning, Nehemiah says, "In the very, uh, in uh, I think it's in verse ten. Go ahead and put that slide up there, Stephen." Nehemiah says, "This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad." He says, "Have you heard this before? For the joy of the Lord is your strength." You guys did pretty good. How about a hand for Ezra up here? You guys take a seat. Thank you. Take a seat. You can take that with you. Give it back to Charles. Oh, sorry. So. We'll we'll give you uh, we'll give you better roles in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's uh, uh, what you just did is uh, is uh, Nehemiah chapter eight. So, see, you just learned it. You didn't even have to read it. Maybe it'll maybe it'll help you remember it. But I want to I want to talk about this scene just, just for for a few minutes. Pretty cool, right? The work is done. Here they come, unified together. Ezra marches out. Uh, uh, you think my sermon was long? Think about that day. They stood the whole time. And, and all of that I get. But why did they weep? Why mourn? Uh, it, it happens with my kids all the time. So my youngest... Uh, uh, Cannon, uh, he's one, he's one of the little brown ones that run around here. Um, so every now and then we have some behavior issues with Cannon at his preschool. I, I know you can't imagine a three-year-old, uh, so we work really hard on having a good day. That's, that's kind of our language. Like, canon man, we want you to have, we want you to have a, a good day. And so when I, when I kiss him and say, hey, man, I always want you to do your best. I, want, I love you. I'm proud of you. I always do your best. I want you to have today. Let's have a good day. And so when I show up in the afternoons to pick Cannon up, I I walk up to the door, and if you can imagine, every single day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Cannon runs up to the door and he says, "Daddy, I had a good day. Daddy, I had a good day. Daddy, I had a good day." And then we together simultaneously look to the teacher. (laughs) And the teacher either says, "Yeah, we did. We we had a good day." Or the teacher says, well, <laughs> and if the teacher says, well, Cannon, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a good day today. Cannon knows what's coming next. Maybe he will get a, a, a spank or a pinch or he won't be able to, to watch his favorite shows. If that teacher says, well, what happens to Canon next is, is um, it's tough for a parent. Because if that teacher says, well, his bones dissolve inside of his body. That's what happens. And he just gets weak like this. And without me even having to say anything, tears start to come down his cheek. And right in front of me, he melts. He breaks into tears. He begins to weep and mourn. And he says, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. Have you been in that space before? Uh, Teenagers, uh, maybe it'll happen for you the night it's late, past curfew, you know, you're going to be really stealthy and smooth and you're going to try to just open the door as quiet as possible and the house is dark and maybe, just maybe, your parents are asleep and you're tiptoeing down the hallway and the lamp in the living room comes on. (laughs) And what happens? You're gonna melt. You're gonna melt before them because you know in that moment you're found out, right? Um, I'd love to say this uh, this moment of of mourning and weeping and melting of being found out only happens. Uh, it, it only happens when we're a kid, but it's not true. The ones I remember are the are the businessmen. You know, they're, they're dressed to the nine. They're, they're somebody in the community. They have a name in the community, and, and they're wearing a three-piece suit. And just like Canon at preschool, I've seen those men absolutely melt. Because in a moment of weakness, they made a dishonest choice. And their boss found out. And I've held those, those businessmen with the perfect hair and the three-piece suit and that look like they have it all together and I've held them as they've cried because they don't know how to tell their wife they've been fired. They don't know how to tell them that maybe now they have to appear in front of a court. that they have been found out. And when the men and, men and women and children of Israel Listen to Ezra read the word of God to them. It produces in them a tremendous sense of sin. In that moment, they come face to face with 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 God. They come face to face with their wrongdoing, with their brokenness, with their shame. They come face to face with their sin. We know without daily doses of God, your soul will slowly walk away. And these men and women stand hearing the word of God, knowing that they had forgotten him. And now, here they are in his presence. And they know they're guilty. And they know they've been found out. And they know what comes next. Their expectation is, is judgment or condemnation or, or punishment. And so if, if that's you, your response is, is, it's perfectly natural response to weep and to cry and to mourn because you've been found out, and their response is perfectly natural to melt. You guys know what that's like? Like, like this is not the pretty kind of cry, and This is the ugly cry. To mourn and to grieve. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, this is, this is where the story takes a really unexpected twist. Because Nehemiah and Ezra, who probably had every right to hand out some sort of deserved punishment, a- instead, instead of handing out the judgment that the people expected and deserved, they do what? They chastise the people for crying. Hey, this is a sacred day. This is, there's no crying I can't help the, the sandlot. There's no crying in baseball. Uh, what is that? The um, League of their own. Yeah, League of Their Own. There's no crying. This isn't a day for, for crying. And, and can you see in the moment with the people, there's, there's a moment of confusion, right? Because if you read a little bit further, Nehemiah and Ezra say, this isn't a day for punishment. This is a sacred day. Not to, this is not a day for crying, but this is a day of celebration. And the people say, Huh? What do you mean this is a day of celebration and and Ezra and Nehemiah they tell the people they they literally tell the people to eat the fat. They say, we want you to throw a party. And we want you to 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 have the best food imaginable. I, we we don't want this is Ruth's crisp kind of steak. This is what kind of celebration this is. This is a big deal. This is a day to celebrate. So we want you to drink sweet drinks, and we want you to eat the fat. We want you to eat the best food, and we want you to practice generosity with each other. This is a day of celebration. You see, the the people have just heard the whole story of God, yet they missed the very heart of God. Yes, it's a story of of God's people uh, uh, time and again breaking their promises to him. Time and again, if you look at this story, if you look at the whole Old Testament, time and time again, the people of God forget him and they walk away from him. They abandon him. But Nehemiah says, don't you get it? He says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Put Put that verse back up there. I think maybe I've got it still. He says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And what does he mean? They're weeping. They're broken. They've been, they've been found out. And Nehemiah says, no, 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 Don't you understand? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So what is the joy of the Lord? I, I've struggled with this question. Even for, for weeks, I knew this teaching was coming. I struggle with that question. What is the joy of the Lord? How how am I supposed to get strength from God's joy? And what I think, it, what I've come to, what I, what I've come to understand is the joy of the Lord is the Lord's deepest desire. The joy of the Lord is that thing that God desires more than anything else. The joy of the Lord is that thing that, that makes God smile, that, that brings him joy beyond anything else. The joy of the Lord is really the heart of God. And if you read the Torah, I don't want you to just read the story of people who fall away again and again and again. That's not the story of God's people. That's not the story of God's heart. The story of God's heart, the joy of the Lord, is a story of redemption and forgiveness, time time. And time again. What makes God happy is to bless. At the very core of of who God is, is a desire to bless and to redeem. James says, to draw all the world unto himself. James says, if you draw near to him, what's going to happen? And that makes God's heart beat, that makes him excited. That makes him who he is. And Nehemiah says, if we can get that peace, if we can understand the joy of the Lord, if we can can get that peace that that his heart is not to condemn and not to judge like everything in our culture says about Christianity, right? But if we can get the truth that, that at the center, at the core of who God is, is goodness and hope and love and redemption. If we can understand the joy of the Lord, then we've got a whole new anchor in the storm. Are you with me? If we can grasp who God is, if we can really understand his heart, then then we have a shield against fear and shame and doubt. To put it another way, Our strength isn't that we loved God, but that he loved us. Are you with me? So when was the last time, deep thoughts, (laughs) when was the last time you really faced up to the reality and depth of your sin? Uh, I hate this in in, in churches, Because we still, even though we know the truth of who God is, we still as Christians, and I do it too, we we di- try to distance ourselves from sin. We try to put it in a closet. We don't want, everyone to, anyone, want everyone, anyone to ever see it or know it. We remove ourselves from that place, from, from the weight of it. When was the last time you stood face to face with the God of the universe when you looked him in the eye? Because when you look him in the eye, when you, come, when you genuinely come into his presence, and you know that he sees you and he sees through you and he sees what you've done. If you really, when you grasp that, you're going to be convicted in a way that, that we're too cool to show too often. You're going to have, have this real sense of conviction. And, and I think as a part of this Christian life who, of men and women who want to be followers of Jesus Christ, I think conviction is critical. It's critical. It's so important in in the conversion process to stand before God like uh, like the woman caught in the act of adultery. Do you guys remember this story? To stand before him and know that you're busted and know that you've been found out and, and to be there broken and weeping with the expectation of guilt and punishment and shame and then receive the exact opposite. Because if we don't have that, that, that moment of conviction, th- this piece is so important, Because not because I want you to live in guilt and shame at all, but, but until you can grasp the weight of your sin, you never fully appreciate what comes next. Are you with me? And we like to minimize our sin and minimize its effect. But, but Scripture says, no, 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 you really need to get it. Because only when you grasp the real weight of your sin, that's why why I love spending time with Christians who who came to faith later in life. You know what I'm saying? Have you been around these people? They lived 20 or 30 years. They already knew a super sinful life. And then they come to Christ. And when they come to Christ, they come to Christ, y'all. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's not pretty and passive, but it's broken and weeping. And when those people are baptized for the first time, they come out of the water and they're alive because they've encountered something real. They know the depth of what they've done and they receive a gift that's unimaginable. So only when you've faced up to the conviction of your life without God can you accept the amazing gift. Of Jesus Christ. Then you will see the debt that has been paid for you. Your your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your conviction will be turned to celebration. You will have renewed strength because you won't just know it, but will have experienced personally, firsthand, for yourself the joy of the Lord. You will have experienced God's deepest desire for you. And I love how this is expressed. Nehemiah says, hey, this is is a moment of celebration. And the fullest way they they celebrate is with generosity. Do you guys see this? When you kind of make this whole track of encountering God and then being convicted and then accepting the free gift of Jesus Christ, then you begin to celebrate. And how do you express it? Same way they did. Generosity. You begin to see others different. You begin to see your stuff different. And what you have in that moment, the joy of the Lord, you want to begin to share with others. You become desperate and hungry for others to experience that same thing. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team back up. As they're coming up, I just want to share, share a couple of closing thoughts with you. And in just a moment, too, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And we've got stations set up around the room. And I think this, this space is so important to remember what Jesus did for us. And I hope in this time, like, like, like we're, creating, we're creating a special space for you right now. Uh, I hope that in this space, this is your time and this is your moment. Um, and this is so hard for some of us who have been Christians for so long. Um, but maybe you need to have that moment of weeping and mourning. Maybe you, I, I know we're too cool for that sometimes. Maybe you need to have that space of, of brokenness because some of you who have been living under the name of Christian ha- have, have called yourself a Christian a long, for a long time, but, but in your actions and in some areas of your life, you've forgotten God just like Israel did. You've excluded him from parts of your life, and you're hoping that you don't get found out. And so maybe this morning, for the first time in a long time, we just need to, to, to not try to be cool in front of our friends, in front of our church family. Maybe you just need to have a moment of brokenness before God, a moment where you weep and mourn, where you stand face to face with him. And I invite you to practice what, what they call the New Testament repentance, is just to confess. Confess your sins. Feel the weight of, of your conviction. And our promise as a church family is that when you confess, when you repent, we won't let you stay there. <laughs> if you come to that moment of brokenness, we'll invite you to, to not to condemnation or judgment, but we'll offer the free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And we'll watch you make that movement from conviction to celebration. And maybe this morning... You're at a place you're ready to give your life to Jesus in, in, in kind of a public way, and we want to be here for that, and, and we are here for that. And maybe it just means to, to join a disciple group. Maybe you've been reading God's Word a long time, but you haven't allowed it to really penetrate you, to really affect you, to really move you and shake you. And, and so we invite you to, you know, our disciple groups are all about how is God speaking to you, and, and what are you doing about it, about really bringing our lives into alignment with Jesus this morning wherever you're at and I I know we're all at different places as you take this this bread and this cup which represents Christ's sacrifice for you may you come and experience all over again a whole new strength may you come to know for yourself in a deeply meaningful authentic kind of way may you come to know the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, for your word and uh, for the way you move through Nehemiah. God, these words aren't, aren't just written for us to, to admire, but God, these are words for us to live, to, to put into practice. And so God, let us, uh, let us be convicted this morning of our own sin, of our own brokenness, let us, uh, uh, let us not just kind of skip past that part. But Father God, as we enter into this time of communion, let us feel the true weight of, of, of what we've done and, and know that, that because of our actions, there are consequences. And let us pause there, not, not for long, but for a moment. And then out of that moment, Father God, let us really step into the joy of the Lord, what what your real heartbeat is. And instead of accepting some sort of conviction or punishment, we accept the free gift that that comes through your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. Because your heartbeat, God, is to redeem and restore and where there was death to bring life. And so, Father God, we ask you to move powerfully in us and among us. Don't let these words just fall on deaf ears. And where, where there needs to be brokenness, Father God, I, I pray that you, you would give us the courage to open those hard parts of our hearts and allow that to happen. God, move powerfully in us and among us. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.